Scripture reading this morning will be read from Revelation 21, verses 1 and 2. Revelation 21, verses 1 and 2. And I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth were passed away, and there was no more sea. And I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. Good morning and welcome again to our worship service. We're grateful for your presence today. As always, we invite those of you who are visiting to come back to be with us at every opportunity that you have. We are thankful for this day, the opportunity to be together as God's people, to worship Him, and to bring Him honor and glory. We are very grateful for all the blessings that we enjoy, particularly the opportunity to live in a country that affords us the freedom of worshiping God without fear of any outside harm. And we pray that God will continue to bless us with this great freedom. We're going to be looking in just a moment at Revelation chapter 21. And we're going to be talking today about the theme, Are You Making Plans for Heaven? It has been correctly stated that heaven is a prepared place for prepared people. I would hope and pray that all of us are making plans to one day be together in heaven. Life at best is very brief. The psalmist talks about how the days of our years may be threescore and ten. He said we may even reach the age of 80. But he said it is soon cut off and we fly away. And so in Psalm 90 at verse 12, the exhortation reads and continues to remind us of the brevity of life because he said, so teach us to number our days that we may apply our hearts to wisdom. I would hope and pray that all of us are mindful of the brevity of life and that we are really and truly redeeming the time, making the most of our time. James would say that life is like a vapor. It appears for a little while and then vanishes away in James 4 at verse 14. And so before you know it, life is over. That's why it's so important for us to make plans for eternity. And hopefully and prayerfully, as I said a moment ago, we are making plans to one day be together with God the Father, Jesus Christ the Son, and the Holy Spirit in that beautiful place that's called heaven. As we think about our study today, we want to look at Revelation 21. The first thing that I want to do is call your attention to the place called heaven. As we think about the place called heaven, I think about the surety of heaven. I'm convinced that heaven is a real place. It is just as real and genuine as Olive Branch, Mississippi. Now I will freely grant that you and I, we cannot visibly see this place called heaven right now. But one day our faith will become sight. And so there are a couple of things that I would call your attention to in connection with this point. First of all, note if you would, the visual assurance of heaven by John. John talks about heaven. And John, in a very concise manner, speaks unto us about this place called heaven. In verse 1, And I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, 
and there was no more sea. Then I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. And God himself will be with them and be their God. When John assures us of heaven, he describes this beautiful place that we know as our ultimate heavenly dwelling place. Let me just call your attention to his description about heaven. Drop down and look at verse 10. In verse 10, John said, And he carried me away in the spirit to a great and high mountain and showed me the great city, the holy Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God, having the glory of God, and her light was like a most precious stone, like a jasper stone, clear as crystal. Also she had a great and high wall with 12 gates and 12 angels at the gates, and names written on them, which are the names of the 12 tribes of the children of Israel. Three gates on the east, three gates on the north, three gates on the south, and three gates on the west. Now the wall of the city had 12 foundations and on them were the names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. And then drop down and look at verse 21. Well, actually look at verse 20. Well, I said verse 20, verse 21. In verse 21 he said the 12 gates were 12 pearls. Each individual gate was of one pearl. And the street of the city was pure gold like transparent glass and I saw no temple in it for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple and the city had no need of the sun or the moon to shine in it for the glory of God illuminated it and the Lamb is its light and the nations of those who are saved shall walk in its light and the kings of the earth shall bring their glory and honor into it its gates shall not <coughs> excuse me its gates shall not be shut at all by day. There shall be no night there. And they shall bring the glory and the honor of the nations into it. And there shall by no means enter it anything that defiles or causes an abomination or a lie, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. And so here John, in a very descriptive way, talks to us about heaven. As we think about this beautiful city, he takes human terminology and likens it to the heavenly city. Now, I don't believe that the city itself is going to have streets of gold per se, but I believe that as we contemplate this beautiful city, it's unlike anything we've ever seen. And so we have human, human language accommodating this heavenly city, helping us to see the beauty of this great city that we call heaven. I would also point out that within this great city, John tells us that God Almighty and the Lamb, they dwell in it. One of the reasons we want to go to heaven is to be with deity, to be with the Lord God, and to be in his presence forevermore. But then there is a second thing that I would call your attention to. We talk about the visual assurance of heaven by John, but then also the verbal assurance of heaven by Jesus. 
Drop down and look at verse 5. In verse 5, John said, Then he who sat on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said to me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega. The beginning and the end I will give of the water, or rather of the fountain of the water of life freely to him who thirsts. And so here is Jesus simply placing his stamp of approval on this heavenly city that we know is heaven. Jesus had a lot to say about heaven. As a matter of fact, we have declarations about heaven by Jesus. You remember in John chapter 13, Jesus told the apostles that he was going away. Simon Peter, of course, spoke up and said that he was willing to lay down his life for the cause of Christ. And so in chapter 14, verse 1, Jesus said, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. But I go to prepare a place for you. And he said, If I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And so here we have assurance by the Lamb of God that heaven is a real place. I think about all the promises that are contained in the Bible. All of the great inherent blessings that belong to those of us who are within the family of God. And to know that Jesus is assuring me of this great place called heaven. We talk about believing in the Bible and believing in what inspiration has to say. Listen, we walk by faith. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. I may not visually be able to see heaven right now, but through the eye of faith, I believe it to be a real place. I believe that John saw this beautiful city, and I believe that Jesus talked about and assured us of this heavenly city. But then there's a second thing I call your attention to as we think about heaven, and this has to do with the perfection of heaven. When we talk about the perfection of heaven, we're, we're talking about a place that exists in all of its splendor and glory. I can safely say that I have never lived in a perfect environment. I think that the closest thing this earth has ever known to a perfect environment would have been the Garden of Eden. It was indeed a utopian place to live. But where we live today, planet Earth, the universe, the solar system within which we find ourselves living, this is not a perfect environment. There is nothing perfect about planet Earth. Now I understand that the Lord spoke this world into existence, that he upholds all things by the word of his power, that God is the one who keeps this universe in check, and there is a perfect God keeping this universe in check. But having said all of that, the world in which we live, it's not a perfect place. But heaven will be a perfect place. Look, if you would, at verse 4. In verse 4, John the Apostle talks about heaven. And really what he says is, heaven will be a place of no mores. Some of the things that we are so accustomed to in this life, some of the things that we face on a daily basis, some of the things that are constantly gnawing at us and bothering us and hindering us, John said we'll not have to face them anymore. So look at verse 4. 
First of all, he said, in heaven there will be no more passing away. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Now listen to him. And there shall be no more death. This past week, two of our families here at Olive Branch felt the sting of death. And yet John is saying that in that heavenly city, death will be no more. Paul the apostle in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 talks about the sting of death. Job said in chapter 14 verse 1, man born of woman is of few days and full of trouble. Death is a common reality. Read Genesis chapter 5, a commentary on man, and he died. That expression used over and over again. Why? Because we live in a world that is subjected to time. We live in a world that knows death very intimately. In Genesis, we read of some of the great patriarchs of faith. The Bible talks about Abraham and Sarah. And I suspect that Abraham and Sarah had the opportunity to spend a lot of happy times together. And no doubt there were joys and frustrations, highs and lows, successes and failures. But Moses tells us that Sarah died. And here's what the text says. Abraham came to weep for her and to mourn for her. Tears are a natural expression of death, are they not? And yet, the Bible says God will wipe away every tear from their eyes and there will be no more death. Every time we stand at the side of an open grave, tears are shed. Why? Because we have lost a loved one. There is a void, there is a vacuum in our hearts, but we understand that person, that inward person has gone to be with the Lord has gone home to God. But the body, it's now placed in the grave. And so John is simply saying, look, we're not going to have to face death ever again. There'll be no more passing away. There's a second thing. In heaven, there will be no more problems. Imagine living in a place where you will never again be confronted with a problem. I don't know about you, but for most of us, we face in a number of problems. I do not know anyone that can, can honestly say he or she has been exempted from problems here on planet Earth. The Bible talks about the problems of life. Listen again to what Job said. Man born of woman is a few days and full of trouble. Job's simply saying, look, if you live in this earth, if you live on this earth, if you live in this universe, you're going to face some troubles. Peter talks about in 1 Peter chapter 1 at verse 6 how the people of his day were being grieved by various trials. James in James chapter 1 verse 2 said, Count it all joy, brethren, when you fall into various trials. Trials, problems, tribulations, they are a natural part of life. People have problems with finances. People have problems at work. People have problems with their family members. People have problems with their friends. I mean, the list goes on and on. And yet, in heaven, we're going to be exempted from the problems of life. And then there is a third thing. Heaven will be a place where there will be no more pain. 
Listen again to what John said. God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. And there shall be, listen to him, no more pain. For the former things have passed away. Can you imagine living pain-free? Talk to people that are battling cancer. Talk to people that are undergoing chemotherapy or radiation. Talk to people that, ha that have arthritis. Talk to people who are diabetic. Talk to people who have various ailments. Listen, there is a lot of pain in this world. And really when you look at verse 4, a lot of these things interface with one another. When we talk about pain and problems and death and tears and sorrows, all of these things go together. They go hand in hand. A fitting description of the world in which we live. And yet John is saying, in this heavenly city, we are free. We are immune to all these things. You and I, we're not going to have to fear going to the doctor one day and the doctor telling us, look, you have some type of debilitating disease. You have some type of cancer. You have some type of illness that we simply cannot heal. We don't have to worry about that. And then there's a fourth thing. Heaven will be a place that is free from pollutions. Drop down and look if you would at verse 27. In verse 27 of chapter 21, John said, There shall by no means enter it anything that defiles or causes an abomination or a lie, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. John is simply saying here that heaven will be a place free from the pollutions of this life. Now we talk about living in a world that is filled with pollutants, and I understand that. But I also think about the moral pollutions that we're faced with in this world. Is it not the case that in this city, maybe even in our neighborhoods, that we are living among people whose lives are defiled by sin and unrighteousness? And yet John said, in that heavenly city, that's not going to be the case. We're not going to be living next door to a murderer. We're not going to be living next door to a drunkard. We're not going to be living next door to a thief. We're not going to be living next door to somebody whose life is upside down in sin. That's not going to be the case. And so we need to think about that. And then there is a third thing I want to call your attention to as we look at Revelation 21. And this has to do with the people who will be in heaven. We ask the question, who's going to heaven? Who will be in heaven? Are we making plans for heaven? I hope we are. I said a moment ago that heaven is a prepared place for prepared people. Here is who's going to heaven, the saved. Saved people will be in heaven. And I would point out the only ones that will be saved in heaven are those who are in a right relationship with the Lord. So as we think about saved people being in heaven, let me just identify for you some of the things about the saved. First of all, they are the ones who have made themselves ready. In Revelation chapter 19, verse 7, John said, The bride has made herself ready. 
This, this I think, suggests preparation was made. We want to go to heaven. Why, certainly we do. Well, what are we doing to make sure that we get to heaven? Hopefully and prayerfully, we are making ourselves ready. Think about people who have never obeyed the gospel. Are they ready for heaven? No. What do we need to do to get ready for heaven? Well, we have to believe that Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus said, except you believe that I am he, you'll die in your sins. Jesus also said, if you die in your sins, where I am, there you cannot come. So we have to, we have to believe in Jesus. We have to repent of our sins, just like they did on Pentecost Day. Confess the name of Christ, as the eunuch did in Acts 8, verse 37. And then be immersed in a watery grave of baptism so that every sin can be washed away. It's at that point that we are numbered among the redeemed. We are reconciled to God. We are a part of the family of God. Paul would say in Ephesians 5 verse 23 that Christ is the savior of the body. Now in Revelation 19, 7, John said the bride has made herself ready. The bride here, the church. Those who are in the church, they're ready. They're faithful, that is. They're striving to live faithful lives and they are ultimately heaven bound. So, the saved, they're gonna be in heaven. One reason, because they're ready. Another reason is because they're righteous. In 1 John chapter three at verse seven, John said that those who are righteous practice righteousness. Does it mean that we're perfect? Absolutely not. But we're striving to the best of our ability to walk in the light as he is in the light and the assurance is we have fellowship with one another and with God the Father and Jesus Christ the Son. So we're striving to live, we're striving to practice what the Bible teaches. We're striving to live in accordance, in harmony with the will of Almighty God. And then there's a third thing that I would point out. Those who are gonna be in heaven, they've made reservations. I wanna ask you today, have you made reservations for your heavenly home? Sometimes individuals, they will travel all across the country and they'll stop in the evening, they'll go into a hotel, and they'll ask for a room. And the response is, we're full. We don't have room for you. And they'll say, you should have made reservations. If you want to go to heaven, you've got to make reservations. You've got to have your name on that heavenly register. Go back and look, if you would, at verse 12 of chapter 20. In verse 12 of chapter 20, John talks about the judgment of Almighty God. He said, I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God. And books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works by the things which are written in the books. The sea. John said, gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades delivered up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one according to his works. Then death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Now look at verse 27 of chapter 21. John said, there shall by no means enter it anything that defiles or causes an abomination or a lie, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. If your name is not in the Lamb's book of life, you're not going to heaven. John said on that great and final day, the books are gonna be opened. That is, this book that we call the Bible is gonna be opened. And God is gonna judge us according 
to the contents of this book. That's why Jesus said, He that rejecteth me and receiveth not my word hath one that judgeth him. The word that I have spoken, the same shall judge him in the last day, John 12, 48. Paul said in Romans chapter 2, verse 2, we know that the judgment of God is according to truth. James said in chapter 2, verse 12 of his book, so speak and so do as those who will be judged by the law of liberty. In other words, this is the book that's going to be opened on the final day. If our lives are not in harmony with this book, we don't have one prayer. But then he also said, not only are these books going to be opened, that is, those who lived under the period of the patriarchs, they'll be judged accordingly. Those who lived under the law of Moses, they'll be judged according to that law. Those of us who live under the Christian dispensation will be, joy, will be judged according to that law. But then he said, another book was opened, which is the book of life. So you have the word of God being opened and then the book of life being opened. Jesus said on one occasion, rejoice because your names are written in heaven. I want to ask you right now, is your name written in heaven? Is your name on that heavenly register? It either is or it isn't. It's either been entered on that heavenly register because you are among the saved or it has not. The other possibility is at one time it was entered into that heavenly register and because of unrighteousness, because of sin, it's been removed. But you can get it back on that book. If you're not a Christian, obey the gospel. If you're unfaithful, come home. So, we talk about the saved, saved people who will be in heaven. But there's a second possibility. Sinful people will not be in heaven. That's the bottom line. People who are living in sin. Now, sometimes we say, well, all of us sin. All of us make mistakes. That's exactly right. We do. I don't know of anybody who's perfect. There is a difference, though, in somebody who deliberately lives a life of sin, somebody who is practicing unrighteousness, and somebody who has been saved by the grace of God, who has obeyed the gospel, who's striving to do his or her best, and who falls short of the glory of God from time to time. That's why John said, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of his son Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. The blood is constantly at work in our lives. But now what about the sinful? What about those who have never obeyed the gospel? What about those who have fallen away? Well, first of all, the disobedient, they won't be there. If you are a rebel, if you're living a, a life of willful rebellion before Almighty God, what the Bible says is you won't be there. I think about people who've never obeyed the gospel. I think about people who are unfaithful. They don't have a prayer. Paul in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1 talks about the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with the angels of his power in flaming fire, rendering vengeance on them, on them that know not God and that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's imperative for people outside of Christ to obey the gospel because without Christ, they are lost. They live in a state of disobedience. And then I think about the defiled. Listen, if you would, look at verse 7 of Revelation 21. Note the contrast in verses 7 and 8. 
Here's what John said. He who overcomes shall inherit all things. And I will be his God and he shall be my son. But the cowardly, unbelieving, abominable, murderers, fornicators, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. There's something to fear more than death itself. It's called the second death. That is separation from Almighty God forevermore. There are some things that you and I, we just simply cannot wrap our, our minds around. I'm not sure we can wrap our minds around the beauty of heaven. At the same time, I'm not sure that we can wrap our minds around what it means to, set, to step outside this veil of existence, unprepared to meet God. So, I ask you again, are you making plans to be in heaven one day? I hope and pray you are. If you're here today and you're not a child of God, why not come in simple, trusting faith? Do as they did on Pentecost Day. Repent of every sin. Be baptized into Christ. Let the Lord add you to his church and live faithfully forevermore. If you're here today and you're not faithful, why not, why not let us pray with you and for you? James said if we confess our faults, or rather John said if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. God is interested in you as a person. God wants you to be in heaven with him one day. And so, as we stand and sing, if you need to respond, we want you to do it this day.